Welcome to Saturday Night's All Right for Podcasting on Radio Elton John. For Elton John World, I'm your host, George Matlock. Some of the most remarkable people we have managed to connect with in Elton John's world are, in fact, his fans. Many of them are loyal to an E, if not a T, and Trek to most of his concerts. Well, that was the case until Elton hanged up his sequin hat in July, of course. Well, tonight's guest is someone who was on the fan round table that we hosted, if you remember that, back in the summer. That was straight after the final farewell concert in Stockholm. Someone who has himself courted fame and walks the planks, or rather allows his little helpers to do so. So tonight we'll be finding out what makes the puppets tick when we speak to their master, Mr. Wayne Martin. Welcome, welcome. Wayne. Thank you. Great to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm fine. It's great to be back. Well, super, super. Look, um, I hope, first of all, you've had a really good summer. I have. It's been excellent. And of course, the highlight being uh, going to Stockholm to see mm. Elton's final shows. Absolutely. This in July, back in July, indeed. Yep. So um, now for, for this, I know this is a really busy time of the year for you. Um, and that's, in fact, why we were a little bit naughty. And we, we decided to record this episode way back in, in August, which is where we are. Um, <laughs> well, it was the only way to get hold of you, mate. I mean, I know you, you, yes. you run a very busy operation and we'll be hearing about that in this program. It's very exciting, actually, what you do, um, uh, you know, in your, 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 if you like, your non-fan world is, is as exciting, I think, as your fan world as well. So this is, this is why it's a great connection. And it's lovely to hear, you know, that there are big things that many of our, our uh, fans actually do in their, in, in their so-called spare time, which is to earn a few coins. Now, um, to, to pay for our Elton travels. So. Well, exactly. That, that as well. And, and all the albums and, and all the, the, the memorabilia that you've bought over the years, I'm sure. By the way, do you have any Elton John memorabilia? I mean, you, you, you are involved with puppets. We'll be talking about that later. But um, do you actually have any, any Elton clothes or hats or anything like that? Yeah, I, I have his um, Bob Mackie outfit from the 1986 tour. Uh, it's the one he wore on the Heartache All Over the World video. Ah. And uh, so I bought that from the auction back in, what was that, 89, 88, 89. And uh, yeah, so that's in my entry hall of my home. Oh my uh, goodness. It kind of guards our house uh, with the big mohawk wig and everything. So, uh, and I, I was originally known in uh, the fandom circles um, up until YouTube. I had the largest privately owned video uh, library of Elton, 
And uh, when the first Betamax came on, uh, mm -hmm. became available, I bought. Um, big mistake financially, but uh, anyway, I started uh, my because my favorite thing is to see Elton live. Um, you know, even more so than listening to his recorded work. I love seeing the man live, and I figured the next best thing was to have video of him. Mm. And so I started collecting all the old TV shows and everything, and uh, and then uh, bootleg live concerts. And I've literally got thousands of hours of video on him. And um, now most everything, not everything, but most everything is available on YouTube. Um, but, uh, you know, over the years, uh, his management company has come to me for clips that they didn't have in their archives. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, so I've got that. And of course, all the uh, recordings, all the, uh, you know, the commercially released recordings, and then um, bootlegs, I have a huge uh, audio bootleg collection. And uh, yeah, so there's, and, and of course, in recent years, we've got the puzzles, the dolls, the, uh, you know, just all kind of items have come out. So um, yeah, a lot of memorabilia. It's amazing how times have changed, isn't it? Because go back three, say three decades ago, 30 years ago, and uh, t to say bootleg, nobody, everyone looked the other way. It was like, no, it's not me. I don't yeah. have any. I don't have anything like that. <laughs> you know, I remember, I remember that huge court case that uh, uh, Phil Collins brought against, uh, I think it was Italian-based uh, uh, bootleggers at that point, and that was obviously to do with Genesis and his own solo recordings. And that kind of made a huge impact at the time. But of course now... Everything's been overtaken by events. So, you know, I mean, the internet has come come full force. We have YouTube, as you say. Um, there are so many repositories, so many places that people can store this stuff. They don't even realize what they've got half of them. So I think yeah. we've moved a, a long way from from those days, haven't we? And, and the artists uh, kind of encourage it now, you yeah. know, because, yeah. they, because they want they want all of that online, so um, and for I mean, the most part, anyway. I mean, it's fantastic when you said that even Elton's management have been in touch with you to ask for clips that they didn't have in their collection. I mean, where would we yeah. be without Wayne Martin? I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> but it's great. It's great that you have that resource. And as you say, it's it very, it very often, uh, very. Uh, it's the case that very few people actually have anything like that. So it really is important that, uh, you know, we, we also, you know, take our hat off to people like you for doing that. Well done. Well done. Well, look, that's really, really exciting. And I didn't uh, didn't know about the, the, the hat and everything, the, you know, the stuff you've got in your, your costume, hallway. Yeah. yeah, the costume. That sounds absolutely amazing. I mean, in my collection, I've got an item which I'm really, really proud of. And it, it was around about the same sort of time, probably a little bit later than 86, I think, but probably only by a year or two. Um, Elton used to wear these kind of gypsy hats and they were with sequins on them and it was a kind of a, a very bright peacock green and mm -hmm. um, with this little sort of brooch at the front with a little bit of fluff from the top little, you know, um, feathers or whatever. And um, this was actually shown on the Anne and Nick show, which is a, a BBC br breakfast programme back in those days. This is going, we're going back here to about 1993 when Elton held, or was it 91 even? You know, I'm beginning to lose it. But it was in the early 90s when Elton had his first ever um, out-of-the-closet shop uh, opening. And as we all know, that was the most amazing sh sale of all of them because it was less, shall we say, Versace and more his incredible costumes and, and everything that yeah. had been shown at the Victorian Albert Museum just a few weeks earlier. So I went along to this shop and in the, lo and behold, there it was, this, this lovely hat. And I decided to put it on my head, um, not realising it, it had just been on the BBC programme that morning, I think. 
And, you know, I didn't because I didn't watch Breakfast Eve. I was too busy queuing up to get into the, into the shop, you know, this tiny little uh-huh. shop in Fulham. And um, so anyway, I so I, I, I looked at this hat and I thought, what, £50? Uh, hmm, can I really go that far today? I mean, £50, £50 sterling. <laughs> you know what? And, and as, as I was we- wearing it and people were saying, oh, yeah, Suji, it's perfect. It's just, you know, just give us the money, you know. I mean, there was a camera from CNN filming all this. I didn't even realise it. I've never seen the clips. I'm going to ask you now. I want that clip, all right? I've never seen it. My auntie was living in somewhere in outer Europe, saw it on TV, said, I don't believe George. He's gone to that shop. It's got to be George. We just saw him wearing this this Elton hat. It's got to be George. And, of course, she saw it. I never saw it. I never saw it. So... I'm going to ask you. through the archives. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> CNN. So it was a CNN clip. Okay. That's right. That's and, right. and do you know, did it air around the world or was it just in Europe? Or definitely in Europe. Idea? Yeah. I mean, definitely okay. in Europe. I don't know. I don't know if you've got any mm-hmm. connections there. But hey, listen, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to just put it out there for what it's worth. I mean, I pay 50 quid for that hat. I still love the hat regardless <laughs> of the clip. But are, what, are those the hats he wore in the late 80s on yeah, stage? Yeah. 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 I, I love those. Those were, they were, those were made by some guy in uh san francisco i think oh, really and uh yeah and uh he's literally he has hundreds of those um you know, but uh yeah I, I like that i like that style yeah yeah well and i love hats so in all honesty if there's somebody out there who's a kind of a mad hatter for elton hats knows all about his hats we want to talk to that person that's got to be on the next podcast right yeah. we, we need to somebody who's all about hats you know Anyway, um, but we digress slightly. So let's come back to you. And Wayne, um, first of all, I know you've been a fan of Elton's now for at least half a century. Um, But you also run your own, I call it, entertainment emporium with puppets. Tell us about that. I was uh, three years old and I turned on the TV one morning and uh, there was a, a famous children's program in the United States called The Uncle Al Show. And it was produced out of Cincinnati, Ohio, which is where I'm originally from. Mm -hmm. And the puppeteer on that show was a man named Larry Smith. And his main character was Hattie the Witch. And it's one of my earliest memories. I remember Hattie flying in and grabbing Uncle Al's hat and flying off with his hat. And there was just something about that character. I was just fascinated. And I, I didn't know what she was. I didn't understand what a puppet was. And so <clears throat> my, <clears throat> excuse me, my uh, parents saw how, you know, enthused I was about her. And so they explained to me what a puppet was. And for the longest time, I refused to believe she was a puppet. I thought she was real. <laughs> um, And, uh, but anyway, uh, it turned out Larry had his own show later in the day. And so I would watch the Uncle Al show every morning. I'd watch Larry in the afternoon. And that Christmas, my parents bought me some puppets uh, as gifts. And I would sit behind the couch and act out not just Larry's shows, but uh, my other favorite TV shows. I would act them out with these little store-bought puppets. And, um, and at Halloween time, I remember getting, um, they used to put napkins over suckers and draw little ghost faces. Mm. Well, instead of eating those, uh, when I got home, those became puppets too. Mm. And I would just sit behind the couch and act out the shows. And when I was four, my dad took me to, um, Pogue's department store and Larry was performing that day. He was doing three or four shows that afternoon. 
And uh, so that's the first time I got to see Larry live and see the puppets in color uh, because we were watching on a black and white TV set. So what and, year would this uh, have been, just so, to give people a bit of a time frame? Uh, geez, uh, 1962, 63, right. somewhere in there. Okay. And... Um, so, um, and I remember in between one of the shows, uh, I saw Larry and his assistant walk into a dressing room that they had set up as a, a little seating area for him. And my dad went out to get a smoke and I saw my chance and I snuck backstage and went into the booth and saw all these puppets hanging there. And that's when I realized Hattie was in fact a puppet and, um, no trauma. <laughs> I was fine with that. Um, but uh, so that was the beginning of it. And then that Christmas, my mom and grandmother uh, made a witch puppet for me. And mm. uh, so that was the big surprise gift that year. And I, uh, I wouldn't take this puppet off my hand. It was a hand puppet, a glove puppet. Mm -hmm. And her head was rubber. And Within uh, several weeks, my index finger became infected because I just kept it in this thing. And so I was in and out of the doctor's office, and they would have to prick it and lance it and everything and uh, put salve on it. And I'd put it right back in the puppet. You know, I just loved this thing. So I started doing shows for family and friends and anybody I could, you know, convince to sit and watch and my dad somewhere around that time built me my first puppet stage and i started doing shows at school and um it just went on from there i i went professional when i was eight years old mm. and what happened was um a friend of my parents had asked me to perform at their sc child's school's carnival and from there other schools started calling me and uh, i mean they were paying me like five dollars for five shows and in the afternoon something like that and uh then that, that, led that sounds to... like elton at northwood hills with the with the pints you know playing yeah the, yeah playing for except a five I, or a night yeah yeah ex except i didn't have to jump out a window during fights <laughs> um <laughs> but uh yeah, so I, I started doing that, and then uh, I, st I booked a couple country clubs, and, um, you know, it, it just kind of went on from there. Up to, by now, I had become friendly uh, with Larry. I had met Larry a number of times, and he, he knew who I was, and, you know, I would show up to all the live shows and everything, and um, he he changed stations and he he began the peak of his career which was uh in 1968 onwards and he joined a new tv station and his popularity just went through the roof mm. and so he didn't want to do all the smaller birthday parties and that kind of stuff anymore and I just called him up one day and I said, you know, I've seen X number of shows of yours. I think it's time you see one of mine. And I was 10 years old. I was going to say, very uh, business-like. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I said, you know, you need to come over and see one of my shows. Mm. And he said, okay. He said, how about Saturday? And I said, fine. So long story short, he came over that Saturday, saw one of my shows. And a couple of weeks later, we get a phone call from somebody who wanted a birthday party. And they said, Larry Smith uh, recommended you. 
And from that point on, Larry started recommending me for all these shows that, you know, he didn't want to do. And uh, so I'm 10 years old. And over the next year or so, most weekends were booked. And my parents had to give up, <clears throat> you know, their weekends to drive me to all these gigs. And um, then when I was 12, um, I was invited to perform for Mrs. Nixon. This is when Richard Nixon was president. And mm. she was coming, she was coming through Cincinnati, uh, checking out children's health care facilities, I think it was. But anyway, somebody had seen one of my shows and they called and said, you know, would you like to perform for the first lady? And it's like, yeah. And uh <laughs> <laughs> so it just took off from there. And oh, so by the time by the time I was uh, graduating high school, I had a career, you know, um, and it, you know, if, if I were just starting out at that time, I would have been flipping burgers or something else right, to, right. you know, to make ends meet. But because for 10 years, I'd been doing this, uh, I had a career and um, you know, it was Fantastic. making a good living. So, so when you when you met the first lady, I mean, it's it's incredible. Mm. I mean, uh, it's the nearest thing I suppose to to actually being asked to come to the White House to do it. But I mean, this is brilliant. They come to you, even better. You don't have yeah. to go to them. They come to you. <laughs> I, I'm beginning to like the sound of this. And um, so, what year would this have been? Where where in the political story is this? That was in 1970, the spring of 1970. Oh, right. So a little bit yeah. before Watergate, then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so no chance of, of slipping in a little political satirical. Uh, no, in there. no, no, no. <laughs> which uh, which brings me to beg to question: What is the sort of style? Because these are not finger puppets, right? You're doing full uh, hand puppets. Um, are you doing like marionettes as well? Are you doing with the not, strings? Not at not at that point. Uh, at that point, it was all hand puppets, hand puppets. and uh, the shows were usually uh, fairy tales, well known right. fairy tales, yep. and I, I think for. Mrs. Nixon, I think I did Hansel and Gretel. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, so that, that's what it was. It was somewhere around, it was in the early 70s, uh, maybe 72, somewhere in there. I got into marionettes and um, that I fell in love with then for, I found that, uh, I've, I've found over the years that hand puppets work best on TV for me mm. uh, in a live performance. It's marionettes. And I still do a, f a little bit of hand puppet work in my touring show, but uh, it's mostly marionettes. And I do open stage, which means I'm not hidden. Um, I'm right out in front with the puppets. And the puppets are large. They're about three. They average about three feet tall. Oh, my. So they can be seen in large crowds. And um, it's all musical variety. Um, I very rarely do stories anymore. Uh, I, I still do Hansel and Gretel occasionally, and I've done S Sorcerer's Apprentice. Um, but they tend to be just 15, 20 minutes long at best, and then I follow that up with my variety. Right. Because that's what works best, and it also works best in a live situation. And it also... Uh, attracts all ages whereas if i was just doing fairy tales you know that's it would just draw a kid's audience overall right but uh this way i can entertain the adults and and i even do 
strictly adult shows as well. I okay. Have an adult show I do. Well, we'll find out what that means in just a moment because that can mean so many different things to different audiences. But before yes. we go there, before we go there, um, just one small question on that. So just so I can picture this, obviously we don't have the benefit of picture. We have only audio here on this on, on a radio show. But um, you, what you're doing, just so I understand this, because my, my impression was that this is a little bit like a Punch and Judy type thing. You know, you got a box, you never see the guy, and up above the his head go, go the puppets. That's not mm-hmm. what you're doing. You are not no. doing a static. No. You're, you're actually basically acting alongside, um, am I right, I, uh, alongside the puppets in a sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I dress all in black, and so it helps keep the attention down on the puppet. I have a great story when I was, uh, again, this was sometime in the 70s, and I was doing a uh, Halloween show, and it it was a corporate event, and um, I did the number Monster Mash, the Mm. famous uh, song Monster Mash. (laughs) And so I was going to a party after the show that night, and I had a Frankenstein mask that I was going to wear for this party. And just before I walked out on stage, I thought, you know, what the heck? And I put this Frankenstein mask on, walked out with the marionette, did the number, and I got no reaction from Mm. my mask. Everybody was, you know, screaming and everything about the puppet, but nothing, I couldn't hear anybody reacting to my mask. So at the end of the number, I lifted the marionette up and held it next to my face and took my bow. And the audience went crazy, just screaming, it's Frankenstein, you know. And that was the first time they noticed the mask. And so, you know, it made me feel really good because it's like, well, I'm, I'm doing my job. You know, they're, they're completely transfixed by the puppet and they're not paying attention to me, even though I'm right there in front of them in a Frankenstein mask, you know? <laughs> so, um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, uh, the adults, they enjoy watching th- me control the puppets. I, I always get comments from the adults, you know, they're amazed that, you know, how do you know which string to pull? And so, you know, they're zeroing in on that aspect of it a lot of the times while the kids are you know completely focused on the puppet itself so um, yeah now as far as the hand puppets go i do um i have a platform that i stand on uh five foot by five foot platform uh where i do the marionettes and but for the hand puppets there is a booth type mm-hmm set up mm. as part of this be, behind me and so i do work the puppets in it and i work them um they're not all muppet types so a lot of them are glove and i even do some shadow work and stuff like that but it's all worked over my head and i am behind uh, a curtain for most of that occasionally i will do that out in full view of the audience as well but most of the hand puppet work is done behind the curtain Right. Okay. Very interesting. You, uh, behind the curtain. Now that's interesting because we're going to be talking about the Iron Curtain a little bit later on in the program. Yeah. But we'll leave that leave that in suspense. You know, like everything in entertainment, you've got to keep something good to the end, right? Um, but one thing I wanted to ask you. So you, you mentioned the word. Uh, not everything is is like a like Muppet. So are you saying that mm-hmm. there is a kind of puppet that is a Muppet in effect? I mean, uh, what, what yeah, is the Muppet- definition? Muppets completely changed the look of Mm. puppetry Mm. in uh, the late 50s and early 60s when Jim got us started. Mm -hmm. And um, up until that point, most puppets on TV were um, hard-headed puppets. 
uh, made of plastic wood and later made it from celastic, which is what my puppets today are made from. Um, but it, basically puppeteers had taken uh, what they did live on stage and just transferred that to TV. Mm. What Henson did uh, was to make these incredible, at the time, very simple mouth puppets where your hand is actually in the mouth and could do proper lip sync. Because up to that point, Punch and Judy uh, performers didn't concentrate on lip sync like with the alligator they just would flap the mouth open and close maybe mm -hmm. every third or fourth syllable mm -hmm. and if you're familiar with Bert Tilstrom a Kukla Fran and Ollie uh Ollie Dragon it, he Burr operated Ollie much like those puppeteers did and he didn't worry about lip sync Henson on the other hand just zeroed in on it and he perfected that lip sync and it was all because his hand was in the head and could mm -hmm. operate that mouth of course and he also um you know paid particular uh, attention to the eyes of the puppet and so they he didn't use a puppet theater he just he used the uh the camera as the proscenium march if you will it, and just used the whole frame of the television set and uh, so those are Muppet type puppets. They're, okay. they're usually made from foam and soft. And, and I do use those, but the majority of my puppets, even the hand puppets, are made from celastic, which, which is a very durable plastic material. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for that. That's a, a bit technical, I suppose, for our audience, but that's a mm. very interesting story. And you, they're unlikely to hear that from anybody else. So thank you for sharing that with us, Wayne. <laughs> now, I, I must admit, you mentioned early in 1972, you started with, you, you then got onto marionettes and so on. Mm -hmm. I would love to have played a song that's called Marionette, but it's by the wrong artist. That's ABBA, so we can't and we won't. But we can play this. We're going to go out to outer space for this one.
That's Elton John from the Jump Up album from 1982, of course. That is A Robot. A song otherwise known as Serial Number 44357. And if you don't believe me, why don't you check out the lyrics for yourself? Well, on the programme today, we're speaking to Wayne Martin, uh, puppeteer extraordinaire. Welcome, welcome back to the programme. Thank you. I love Robot. I know a lot of fans don't care for that song, but that's a great that's a great song going down the highway and just singing away to it. My kids, when uh, they were little, we used to just sing the heck out of that song in the car. So oh, wonderful. Uh, and with a with with AI and everything uh, being a hot topic with the Screen Actors Guild and writers and everything, it does fit in with the times right now so absolutely well i'm so glad you've redeemed me because i thought everyone was going to attack me for playing that song i mean i did tell you before the program we're going to use that song because if yeah. i don't use it on this program where the heck am i going to use it right where am exactly. i going to use it? exactly it's got to be okay well that's the song that uh, was the words were uh, the, the, there aren't that many words in it actually i have to say when you read the lyrics but <laughs> but they are by the, the wonderful golden pen of one bernie torpin um that's yep. from uh, jump up albums i mentioned earlier um gosh it's how many years ago that's that's over for oh, my word it's over 40 years ago uh, yeah Ooh. yeah god what was that 81 or 82 Eight, 82, 82 the album was released sure, in 82 yeah, yeah. yeah. i yeah. mean my goodness uh, there's some great songs on it jump up by the way i mean it's a fantastic yeah. album um, and then we have to go and choose that one no i'm joking <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great well, song. Well, I liked it. I liked it. I, so. I think it's great. And fun. And the yeah. kids love it. You know, that's the thing. We mustn't forget there's an audience for everything here. And, I mean, Elton, he get, he goes out to everybody. I mean, there's something yeah. for everybody in his music. And I think that's wonderful. Okay, well, brilliant. Well, like I said, my, my, my stepchildren were, you know, very young at the time. And they used to mm. love that song. You know, they'd come on, you know, the radio. Not the radio, mm. but I, I would be playing the uh, cassette in yep. the car and they would just start singing away. You yep. know? For those who don't know what we're talking about, this is a compact cassette, which was a little piece of plastic <laughs> with little spools in it and a lot, a little bit of tape. That a lot, yeah. a lot of tape. You didn't want it to be pulled out by a dog because it will go f- from one end of the street to the other. It was that long. And that's how we used to play, right? And play? and everybody yes, used to love yes. that hiss. Everybody used to love that hiss, which now everybody <laughs> hates, but there was that hiss from, from, from tapes. And they were so much better than vinyl, or so we thought. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, they didn't skip. They, they didn't That's skip, true. so That's that true. was good. Yeah. That is true. That is true. You didn't get static on them, but you just got That's a right. continuous hiss instead. Yes. <laughs> Which is why when you when you hear them on CD now, of course, there's, there's a lot of sounds there you didn't know were there because you used to listen to them on a cassette tape. That was a problem. You know. yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, listening to I Am Your Robot on headphones here, mm. I was hearing things I hadn't heard in ages, because usually I'm blasting it on my speakers in the office here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to have the headphones on, I was picking up things I'm not used to hearing. That's great. When you hear a song you've heard so many times and you hear something new in there you didn't hear before, I think it's, yeah. it's just wonderful, isn't it? Okay, well, just before that musical intermission, we, of course, were talking about, uh, we touched upon at least, The Muppet Show 
and Jim Henson. You mentioned Jim on a few occasions there. Yeah. Um, we, we want to quickly sort of fast forward to this topic, which involves Elton. Now, Elton John, of course, famously appeared on an episode of The Muppet Show back in 1977. Among the songs was Crocodile Rock, where he was on a, uh, on a piano and surrounded by a lake of crocodiles, of course, and um, uh, what, what are your recollections of that episode? What do you remember of it, first of all? Uh, um, I, I thought he did an okay job with it. Uh, he, you notice him being a little uncomfortable at mm. times. He's, he's out of his comfort zone. Um, but Elton's always best at playing himself. And because he was playing himself in that, I, I, I thought he did a, a, a good job overall. Uh, I do know that uh, whenever they would have a guest star, uh, which was every week, they mm. would have a guest star, but they would, um, several weeks before, they would contact that artist and they would say, they would try to find out something that the general public didn't know about them and try to write that in somehow. And typical Elton, much like he is when he's recording a record with a producer, he does his part and then just says, get on with it and leaves. Well, that's basically what he told Henson's crew. He said, I'll do whatever you want me to. And they said, well, you know, we would like you to dig out the old costumes. And he was okay with that. Mm -hmm. uh, but he didn't give them anything to work with, really, I'm told. Uh, it was just up to them to, you know, devise the script for him so he, he wasn't a lot of help that way <laughs> but uh, that's typical Elton I mean you know he has a very short attention span and it's just like you know I'll come in and do whatever you want you know let's just do it yeah so um yeah so you know I thought it was interesting I I, I don't th I actually like the the versions of the songs I thought they did a good job with the songs uh they were all edited down and the, while he was singing live, the uh, tracks were actually pre-recorded. And I don't think, I've, I've never confirmed this, but I don't think he was playing piano on the tracks. Yeah. I think yeah. that was the, uh, the I think house you might band. Right. I think you might be yeah. right. And certainly but what I did enjoy, though, and, I, and this is perhaps um, uh, in contradiction or, or, or perhaps it's not exactly a reinforcing point, but is that actually they're, they're pretty good versions. I mean, yeah, even if yeah. it wasn't Elton on the piano, I mean, the, the guitar playing and so on, I mean, it was it was literally, I mean, Crocodile Rock was not off the album. That was the interesting thing. They didn't simply take the the album version and play it, and, right. and which they could easily have done. Um, yeah. And But they actually re-recorded it. That, I thought that was yeah. really interesting. And maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe it's to do with... Well, they they, they always did. That, that, that was part... That yeah. was part of Henson. I mean, he right. he wanted it all to be unique for each show. So, I got it. Uh, right. How wonderful! Know, all the guest stars they they re-recorded everything. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. I mean, uh, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's uh, I know it's on uh, among other places. It's on Disney Plus. Uh, so you should definitely check it out. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's a great series anyway. I mean, they had Roger Moore, uh, Shirley Bassey. I mean, so many incredible names uh, were on, I'll on, tell the, you, on the series. I'll, I'll tell you something else that's unique about that. It was the only show out of the whole series uh, that they used different applause. They used screaming applause and uh, mm -hmm. like like it was a concert setting, and they never did that for any other artist. Um, and I, th I think with Alice Cooper, they had screams. They added screams to his. But uh, as far as the uh, the applause, it was always the same applause on each show, 
and mm. with Elton it was screams. Wow. So, so spe special screams brought in just for that episode. Just for Elton, yes. So nobody else could reach those levels, yeah. 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 Although they did have quite a few, I mean, Lou Rawls was another one. I know they had a number of oh, vocalists yeah. on, on the show so, uh, oh, over yeah. the years, uh, but they never got the screams. Interesting. Nope, nope. <laughs> they had Harry Belafonte. Didn't get the screams. Yep. Didn't get the screams. Nope. No. Nope. Okay. Okay, so he was literally the um, the, the 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 scream on top of the cake. Uh, sorry, that was yeah. a bad pun. <laughs> anyway, okay, okay. Well, anyway, um, lovely. So a great. I didn't know that either. But by the way, it's a really interesting uh, facet that you bring up there. Now, of course, you're not someone who's uninitiated with the Muppet Show. I mean, apart from the fact that you are yourself a professional puppeteer, you've actually worked with Jim Henson, the creator of the Muppet Show, haven't you? Yeah, I. Um, it was 1970, and I was 12 years old, and Jim had done a, a TV special uh, on PBS a couple mm -hmm. years earlier, but it hadn't aired in Cincinnati until 1970. It was called Muppets on Puppets. And I was blown away by the special because it was a behind-the-scenes look at what he did, and uh, it, it wasn't just a regular Muppet show. And uh, so I wrote him a fan letter and just told him how much this special meant to me. And he wrote me a very nice letter back. And um, I was a very shy kid, but if, if there was something I wanted or I, I could be very ballsy. And I just got on the phone one day and called him up after I got his letter. Mm. And he actually got on the phone. Um, the secretary put him on and... Uh, we spoke just for a minute or two, and he uh, kind of pushed me off to uh, one of his puppet builders to answer some questions. But he was very nice to me. Mm. And um, so then it was uh, 1973, I believe, and I was at a puppet convention. Uh, the Puppeteers of America have, at that time, they had yearly conventions. And uh, I went to this one. It was in East Lansing, Michigan. And that was the first time I met Jim face to face and um, he was very soft-spoken and you felt like you were deaf around him because you could <laughs> barely hear him he was very shy and just very soft-spoken but anyway he said um, he asked me a few questions about the puppets and uh, I don't think he had any memory of me calling him on the phone um, but he said you know please keep in touch let me know what you're up to and then he the following year, he came through Cincinnati uh, promoting his Valentine's Day special. And this was one of three uh, projects I did trying to sell what became the Muppet Show series. And uh, he came through Cincinnati and um, the I had friends at the TV station there and they invited me down for the afternoon. So I took off school and went down and got to hang out with him. And uh, then... I saw him at a couple more puppet festivals, jump forwards 1982, and I did my first TV special, which was called The Magical Christmas of Michael J. Peabody. And it was uh, syndicated um, in different areas throughout the country. And Henson saw that. And it, in January, um, his offices called me and said, could I come to New York? And they didn't tell me what it was for. And so I said, sure. And they gave me the date. So I flew up to New York. Well, it turned out to be a cattle call. And I had never 
been part of a cattle call before. And basically, Henson, every couple of years, he would have these big cattle calls. And it was just to learn, keep, keep abreast of who was out there and who was doing what. Uh, so that they would have a list of puppeteers that they could refer to for different projects mm -hmm. that they would work on. Mm -hmm. And so um, I went in and um, it was Richard Hunt who uh, did Scooter on The Muppet Show. Oh, he yes. was the one ha handling the, uh, the audition. And um, I was just there for like three minutes and he, he said, uh, this is great. He said, you don't, he said, you obviously know what you're doing because i i had the lip sync down perfect because normally they would choose somebody that they saw some potential with and then they would have a school uh, like a five-day school where they would train them in front of monitors and uh you know video cameras and everything right and see if they could do this why well, I, I knew how to do it and he said uh you know there's no need for this he said do you uh, he said, are you looking for full-time work or part-time work? And I said, part-time. And he said, well, all we have right now is Sesame Street, and we have a movie coming up. And he said, would you like to do the movie? And I said, yeah. And so that's what I did. I did The Muppets Take Manhattan, and I was uh, I was just an extra puppeteer on that. Um, but um, it was great. And the what I wanted, what my career was going great guns throughout the Midwest at that time. And that's why I didn't want to give that up and do something full time with Henson. But what I did want was to be able to put that on my resume that I had worked for the Muppets. And by doing that, uh, the business just rolled in. I, bet. I, mean, yeah. I, I can't, you know, the, the TV work I got from it and commercial work and everything. It's like, you know, here's this guy that worked with the Muppets. And so that's what I got out of it. I never worked for him again, although I was contacted right before he died and they were negotiating with Disney at the time. And um, they had a project that they asked me if I wanted to work on. And I, I said, yeah. And then it was like three days later, Jim died. And that, uh, among a bunch of other things, you know, were just yeah. dropped immediately. Of course, so, uh, of course. But, uh, but yeah, he was always, he was great. He, he, he was a great, great man. And he completely changed the look of puppetry for better yeah. or for worse. Um, I say worse because there's so many cheap uh, copycats of his style and nobody does it better. Than he did. Well, you know, they, you know what they say: imitation, the best form of flattery. I sure, guess, in a way, sure. you know, you're you're going to get that. You're going to always get um, uh, copies, and uh, but the most important thing is we all know where it came from. That's that's what matters, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. uh, you're quite yeah. right. I sound, anyone I've spoken to about Jim, everybody's always been very warm in their uh, you know appraisal of him, and I'm and I'm pleased I'll, to hear I'll, that from I'll you. you. Yeah, I'll I'll, t I'll tell you a story. When I did the movie, we were doing. We were shooting the uh, wedding scene one day, and there were about a hundred puppeteers and uh, doing this one scene, and there was uh, one puppeteer who I, who I just recently met, and mm. so I, I'll be very careful what I say here because I don't want to embarrass them. <laughs> but they they were working one of the famous puppets, and there was this there was a part where all the puppets had to lean left and then right in time with the music mm -hmm. and this particular person just could not get it right when everybody else was going right they were going left and vice versa and um 
Frank Oz, who was directing that mm -hmm. movie, he was standing right next to me and he had just, he, he had a, a bit of a short fuse and he, he wasn't <laughs> as easygoing as Henson was. Right. And um, he had just had enough, you know, everybody was tired. And he said uh, to somebody, he said, you know, get rid of them, get somebody else uh, behind that puppet. And Jim was standing there between us and he said, uh, no, no, I'll, I'll take care of it. And he just very quietly walked over and pulled the puppeteer aside and spoke with them for less than five minutes and uh, came walking back and he said, okay, we're ready. And the person got it right. How wonderful. You know, how but, wonderful. Uh, that's, that's the way he was. I mean, he, he was just a really, really sweet guy. Do we, he just, do, do we know what he actually said? Do we know what he actually said to no, this person? No, no. I mean, did he put no. the fear of God into them, was it? <laughs> no, no. I, I, I'm sure he just showed them. You yeah, know, he yeah. just he just showed him this is what we want. And, How amazing. You know, and, and I, I don't know for sure, but I'm I'm thinking it possibly could have had something. This person may not have been used to working with monitors because when you're working with a, a, mm. a video monitor, everything's reversed. Exactly. So if, if you're looking you're and you're going right on screen, it's going left. And so that's that's a real learning curve. And so that may have been what was happening with this this particular puppeteer at you the know, time. I, I wish Jim had been a little more creative, though, between you and me. I mean, what, no one else is sort of listening to this bit, so I think uh, I can get away with saying this quietly, very quietly. I'll say it very quietly. You know, what he should have said is, mate, what you're doing, carry on doing. I'll have a word with Mr. Ozzie over there in a minute. Yeah. And, and you carry on doing it because, you know, what was lovely is it's the fact that somebody isn't in sync and somebody's doing the wrong thing that actually makes Same. this look really yeah. funny. It's a bit like Scooter getting into an act where he shouldn't be on Swan Lake and there's swans are going one way and he's going the other. You know, that would have made entertainment. Am I missing something <laughs> Well, here? I'll tell you, there, there, there were some puppeteers that were trying to, in, in the same scene, this wedding scene, they were trying to stand out. And mm -hmm. so they'd be in the middle of a scene and all of a sudden one of the puppets would hang over into the aisle or something, just trying to draw attention to themselves. And it just didn't work for the scene. And so they, you know, they would yell cut and they would ask them not to do that. And then somebody else would do it, you know, so there was a lot of that going on. But I wasn't there for this. This was another uh, television project they were working on. But it's a famous story of there was a puppet in the very back of this large crowd scene. And it was just going crazy. And it, it was throwing its hat in the air and it was you know, doing all kind of crazy stuff. And finally, the director said, you know, whoever is back there doing that, stop it now. <laughs> and Jim stood up. And it was Jim, he, he had just thrown himself in this crowd. And he, he played, that was the thing he played and he encouraged his fellow puppeteers to play. Mm. And uh, this was just fun to him because he knew he was screwing up the shot, you know. But it's his production; he can do what he wants. You know? I guess. I and guess. so they're all they're all embarrassed, you know, because oh, it's Jim, it's Jim. But, now, uh, now the Muppets in Manhattan is a great movie. I've seen it. I've seen yeah. most of their movies actually, um, which is why I didn't need to persuade myself twice to have you on the show because I'm actually yeah. genuinely <laughs> interested in this. Um, you mm. mentioned that also that some of the puppeteers try to stand out. Now, where where can we best see you? Where, where's your sort of if you like your main sort of contribution to the movie 
Um, in the wedding scene, uh, it's very hard to find me because my puppet was actually a puppet called Pooch, and he's a brown furry dog, oh. and he just kind of blends in. Uh, so I know where he is, but uh, it's very hard. Uh, I would actually have to go through the movie and go scene by scene and mm. remember exactly what I did and what scene to point out. We will look I mean, out for some... Pooch. We're going to look out yeah. for Pooch, my friend. Listen, yeah. don't don't worry. I love uh, dogs anyway, so I'm definitely going to look out for yeah. Pooch. And uh, uh, yeah, no, but thank you for so much for sharing that with us. Now, I want to take a small little sort of, uh, you know, uh, hang on a minute, um, a kind of little sort of uh, a detour. By the way, you may have noticed that during Robot, I threw that in. That was that was yes, not I in the did. original record. That was that was me trying to be a little bit fiendish. There. See, see if anybody noticed. Hey, what version is that? I haven't got that in my catalogue. What yeah. is that? What is that, George? Well, that's just me adding another layer of sounds on top, you know. It could have been anything, but it happened to be a rocket. It seemed mm. to be appropriate at that particular junction uh, of the of the start of the show, of the program of the of the song. Now, um, I want to turn now to something completely different. Okay, uh, I say uh, completely different. Um, a small detour from Elton here to talk about um, a song that was made famous by another big musical love of my life, and that is the American Elton, otherwise known as Billy Joel. Billy Joel there and Leningrad, of course, a huge hit for him back in 1986. Now, it's a song that he wrote uh, to mark his friendship that was forged in 1986 with a Russian puppeteer by the name of Victor, um, who was in the then Soviet Union. Now, that song must tug at your heart a bit, doesn't it? And the, the whole storyline, and I mean, it's based on upon a, a true story as well, but the fact the guy's also a puppeteer and he's trying to make Russian children... A smile in what must have been a pretty difficult time yeah i i <laughs> i actually love that song uh, but i have to plead ignorance i never knew what the backstory of the song was so i obviously never really listened i'm a music man i always listen to uh mm. the uh the music before i listen to lyrics but um yeah so i i didn't know that so i will listen to that song with uh, a whole new appreciation now right but, uh, something, always, something like for you. Said, uh, definitely yeah, it's definitely always. for you i mean it's definitely for you yeah i mean there was also the 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 concert was as you know was commercially released as well um, right and right. um and i think actually there's a little bit of a sort of a documentary bit at the front where he meets the the this puppeteer and his children because he's now got kids as well um and that's how they become good that, friends then i do remember i had forgotten that but yeah now that you say that i do remember that yeah fantastic huh. okay well anyway I, th I agree with you brilliant song great artist um mm -hmm. and you know i want him to come back again he was in hyde park of course this this summer 
uh, in London. Um, we hope you'll come back in a few more years as well and continue to entertain us. Now, Wayne, um, just turning now to other other things, uh, really. Um, now, I wanted to uh, to talk about somebody else um, who is also a puppeteer. Have you heard of a gentleman by the name of Terry Fater? Yes, yes. Okay, well, let's let's refresh everybody's mind as to who is this guy with a little snippet of this. I would love to one day share the stage with Elton John. Well, Winston, America's Got Talent is where prayers are answered. Ladies and gentlemen, Elton John! <laughs> Wait a second. Wait, stop the music. What? What's wrong, Elton? Let's do this right. Where's my million-dollar piano? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she packed my bags last night, Chris Light. Oh my goodness! Zero hour, 90 a.m. And I'm gonna be high. There's a bright light Hey, Elton, let's do a duet. Okay, I'll do the Dua Lipa version. I got a better idea. How about I do a Dua Lipa version and you sing the Elton John version? Winston, that's brilliant. Sing it. Okay. And I think it's gonna be <laughs> a long, long time. Yes. Just touch down, breathe me round again to find another man to think I am at home. Oh, no, no. I'm a rocket man Everyone clap along And I think it's gonna be a long, long time Sing it, Winston, don't mind if I do And I think it's gonna be a long, long time And I think it's gonna be a long Well, that's courtesy of America's Got Talent, of course. So you could hear a few giggles there from not us. Uh, we were just listening to it. But there was, uh, of course, Simon Cowell, who was, of course, uh, egging this guy on. Now, um, Terry's made a bit of a name for himself with this, hasn't he? Um, uh, what did you make of that particular sketch? Because obviously this was about Elton John. Uh, it sounded like a, to me, it sounded like a busker singing. It didn't sound anything like Elton. But he did get, yeah, that, yeah. He did get that high note, you know, flying high. Blah, blah, you know, he got that bit, didn't he? So uh, yeah. give him something for that. Yeah, I've I've seen several clips of the Elton numbers because he's done several different uh, right. things with the Elton puppet, and mm -hmm. he's actually got I think two different two different puppets of Elton. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, yeah, he he doesn't sound like Elton at all to me. I I saw Terry. Um, it was a couple years after he started his Vegas run, and I saw him in Vegas. It was an excellent show, um, but he it. it impressed me as being more of um, a singer and using puppets as a way mm -hmm. to sing different songs mm -hmm. and uh, different genres. Um, I, I don't know a lot about his background, so I don't know how he began, you know, ventriloquism. Uh, I yeah. don't know a lot about his background, but um, that was my impression at the time. And it also, I was seated next to two older women. They were probably in their 70s. And 
they were groupies and they had seen this show 30 some times and they were saying the lines along yeah. with him yeah. and uh i remember just getting the biggest kick out of that it's like well okay <laughs> well there's an audience for everybody is what i've always said yes, yeah you know? but like like i said he, he did an excellent show um yeah. and it was the one and only time i've seen him um but and he wasn't using Elton at that time, uh, so I didn't get to see that live. Right. But uh, yeah. okay. Well, anyway, I mean that's uh, Terry Fater we're talking about there. Now um, I do agree with you. He does sound like he's a singer who's then using puppets as his way of communicating. But I suppose that's right. what entertainment is all about. It's it's taking what you think is your strongest suit and then building something around that uh, that that is exactly. that is marketable that is sellable that people will want to uh, connect with and of course mm. in entertainment i suppose everybody's trying to do that whether it's elton whether it's you whether it's even me i mean at the end of the day we're all trying to do that in in our own particular ways um one question to you now i want to throw this to you is um, have you thought of presenting an elton puppet tribute show not a tribute show. I've <clears throat> I've done Elton numbers over the years mm -hmm. in my show. Um, I the first one I did was in the late seventies, and uh, I've used several different songs. And uh, that's actually how I got to meet Elton the first time uh, oh. because uh, somebody had uh, heard that I had this Elton puppet, and so when he went on tour in nineteen eighty, I got a phone call, and they said, you know, would would you like to meet him? And it's like, duh. And uh, so I did. I, I went to yeah. the concert, and we were backstage. And he, uh, his, his crew loved it. Absolutely loved it. And unfortunately, it wasn't the best Elton marionette I had ever built. Um, <laughs> oh, I've dear. built better ones since, but uh, it was okay. I mean, it was a good likeness and everything. And his crew loved it. And I couldn't. I think he was kind of embarrassed by it. Um, but he was very sweet, you know, and, and took pictures and everything. And. Um, I always stayed away from Crocodile Rock because I thought well, it's too obvious, but again, that's what people want. And so it was sometime in the early 90s I built an Elton John Crocodile and I, I, he, play, he plays the piano and the piano lid opens up and there's a whole chorus of crocodiles that come out of the piano top and sing mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. people love it you know and so I, I gave in after all those years and just went with the obvious but um yeah so i've done that i, I wouldn't do a whole tribute show i elton means so much to me and i you know if i had if i had a really original idea of something that i thought was artistic and wouldn't be embarrassing to him maybe but um i don't at this point so yeah. I, I think I, we're talking about the that. yeah i mean i think we, we're talking here about the need for a storyline this isn't when i say a tribute show i don't mean you just simply do wall to wall songs yeah. uh, because that would get very tired uh after about three songs and the kids would start yep. crying and you don't really yes. want that that's not not really good for your image so um, I think it, it would talk, it would have to be a storyline of some sort, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Lay, you know, if you if you ever come forward with that, you know, ladies yeah, and gentlemen, you know where you heard it first. You know where you yes. heard it first. You know? <laughs> but uh, look, good luck with that idea. I tell you what, you mentioned uh, you know Elton sort of being embarrassed by uh, by by the puppet and whatever. I it it reminded me of something that I'd actually uh, conveniently totally forgotten until now, and and it's just brought it all back um, in an avalanche. And that is. Um, 
back in, oh gosh, it must have been late 1990s or even the early noughties. I'm really trying to, I'm struggling to remember the exact date, but I'm sure people out there will know. Elton was a guest on the Graham Norton show. This is Graham um, Norton who... Um, had a, a BBC programme, I think it was a BBC programme, sure. mm. uh, in the UK. And um, he's an, a, a, you know, a chat uh, uh, host as well as a, as a quiz master and he also hosts the Eurovision Song Contest uh, for the United Kingdom each year now. Well, anyway, um, I, I got a phone call from his producers about a week before they were going to film and they said, um, we hear you've got one of these El- Elton dolls. Could you please let us have... A copy of it, or well, not a copy? Can can we can we borrow it? We'll send the bike round, and and we need it like this during the week. I said okay, and and I, and I had to be really as you say, you've got to be ballsy. So I said, and what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? Mm. You know, I mean, you're not going to mention my name, so what do I get out of this? And they said, um, well, we'll give you a ticket. I said, right, count me in. So I went. So I was in the audience for the show. Elton came on stage. Uh, he was seated next to um, Kim Wilde, the lovely singer. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, she was on there talking about gardening and things that she now does. She doesn't do any singing, really. She said she's kind of retired from all of that. Um, Kids in America and all these other hits behind her, of course. And um, and and then they spoke. You know, Graham talked to to Elton, and then suddenly he produced this. And it's the it looks like an Action Man doll. I think they were US made. Um, they were very mm-hmm. big business. I remember back in in those days, uh, there were a lot of them being sold. So I, it's not as if I had an original or anything. This is probably I don't know Mattel or whoever. I, I have one. I You've have one on my shelf right here. Yes. Yeah, it's got a. Re- it was a red suit, wasn't it? Wasn't he wearing a red suit? It's been years. There were actually it. two of them. The the most popular one was red, but they also had one in white Ooh. as well. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it made him look like you mean it made him look like a waiter? Yeah, lovely. Um, <laughs> I, I think I'm you know I'm happy with the red one. I, it makes yeah. him look resplendent and sh- you know big and you know loud and everything mm. so so that's what they showed him and elton sort of looked at he did he did look a little bit embarrassed actually after mm-hmm. all of that <laughs> but we were giggling i was there with a friend of mine another elton fan we just had a good old giggle um mm. you know it's gonna happen um of course that that it, what's funny is that one was um done legally i mean they, mm. they got the rights mm. to do that yeah uh the one that was very popular in the early 90s that was not legal was the uh crocodile the dancing crocodile oh yes the crocodile rock right. and he actually loved that and uh <laughs> he i he, there was some talk show he did where he actually said you know they never got the rights to this he said but it, it's an awfully good toy he said i actually like it um and i know people at concerts would bring those a lot of time to have him sign yeah. them and oh, wonderful. Uh, <laughs> and he did he signed yeah. them did he how wonderful oh yeah oh yeah, blind yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. An, un- an unlicensed product. Well, there you go. Of course, that may all now change because you've probably heard Elton's now uh, or his management have filed for trademark to the name Elton yes. John. Yeah. Yes. Which I was shocked they hadn't already. I would have just assumed that had been done years ago. Yeah. So, um Absolutely. So there will be no more signatures on these crocodiles. Thank you very much. Okay, what a pleasure. Listen, it's been great to talk to you. Um, now I'm, I, I think we're going to Wayne. We're going to we're going to play out with a song which I know means an awful lot to you, um, and it's a, it's a Motown classic. It was a big uh, hit, of course, in 1967 for the Purify Boys, and more recently duetted 30 years later by Elton and Paul Young. You will tell me, and you will in fact introduce this song, will you not? Uh, yeah, I actually uh, use this uh, song in my shows, um, 
and it's um, I, I wouldn't know how to explain what I do, but it, it's a very simple glove puppet number, and um, it's actually one of my most requested numbers and most praised numbers by other puppeteers, and the song is called I'm Your Puppet. Elton John, of course, and Paul Young. I'm your puppet, a classic from the Motown catalogue there. And just our big thanks to Wayne Martin for joining us on the programme. Did you enjoy yourself? I sure did. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Well, look, you can take a bow now, but please, please don't headbutt the microphone. <laughs> OK, and we'll we'll talk to you again, I'm sure, in the future. We'll be other fan opportunities. Great. Yeah. Thank you for joining Anytime. us. Anytime. that's all we've got time for on this programme. Remember, you can always drop us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Radio at eltonjohn.world. If you've got anyone in mind you think we should interview next, or perhaps you'd like to be the star, please get in touch. We're back in a month's time. Come on, baby, don't you know?